McDonald's se está transformando en el mundo anime de McDonald's y te trae la nueva savory chili McDonald's sauce. Los mejores sabores se unen en esta legendaria salsa para que tus 10-piece chicken wackduggets, papitas y Sprite se conviertan en un meal ultra poderoso. Desbloquea un manga con tu meal y disfruta de un corto de anime cada semana. Solo en McDonald's. Badabababa, go! En McDonald's participantes por tiempo limitado hasta agotar existencias. Welcome to Brown and Black. My name is Jack Rico. And I'm Mike Sargent. And every week we take a look at race and pop culture through a brown and black lens. Today we're going to be interviewing Tim Fielder, a good friend of yours, an Afrofuturist. He has an exhibit. Uh, there's a festival going on of Afrofuturism, not only at Carnegie Hall, but also at the Metropolitan Museum of Art. It's like Afrofuturism Month, man, and it's awesome happening during Black History Month. And we're going to talk to him about movies, culture, where black culture is right now, and what the future of black culture is. But before we do that, Mike, I thought that we should talk about probably the thing that everyone's going to be talking about uh, on March 4th, but the embargo's up on the 28th, which is the review of The Batman. You and I got a, I think we were the first people in New York to see it, right? Absolutely, we were, yes. And so you and I had a chance to... Um, to see the film at the AMC theaters on 68th and Broadway in New York City. It's where we usually go for the big, big event movies like The Batman. I've been there for Star Wars, etc. So you and I decided that we were going to do a first reaction. This is a throwback segment to the highly relevant podcast days when you and I were doing that show. And um, Wait, we need some wind here. Back, back in the day. Yeah, highly relevant is still happening, uh, but Mike and I are now with Brown and Black. But we were going to do the throwback, and like five minutes in, all right, guys, you got to get out of here, and we couldn't do it. So uh, we want to play you a little bit of our first initial reactions before we got kicked out with the kicking out and everything, and then... Mike, what do you say then after that? Let's just fill in <laughs> the rest of the blanks. So we're here at the AMC Lincoln Theaters. Mike, I have not been to a movie theater in about two years, maybe a little bit over two years. And what brings me back is The Batman starring Robert Pattinson. It brings me back together with you, and I thought, hey, why not do a quick first reaction? And now that the lights are up, credits are done and everybody has left the theater. It's just you and me inside this Dolby theater. It's a beautiful place, but- Before the, they kick us out. But before they kick us out, what did you think of The Batman? Well, the good parts are that it's, it's well done. Uh, I think the score is good. I think the cinematography is great. Uh, it looks like a graphic novel. It feels like a graphic novel. It's definitely got momentum, so I think there's a lot of good storytelling going on in there. That's the good part. Now, there's the other side, but I'm going to hear what you think first, and then I'll tell you the other side. But I got to mention it. So we should probably just pick it up from there. Yes, it looks like a graphic novel, Mike, um, but for me, more than anything else, let's really look at the impact of what this movie is coming in. It's a warning. 
Number one, The Batman is another reboot of The Batman, The Dark Knight. Um, and, and seriously, I don't know why we have to be changing The Batman so damn often. Why can't one guy just hold the mantle for 20, 30 years? Like, it's getting ridiculous, and now we're getting younger, and I'm sure they're getting Robert Pattinson because he's like... You know, like in his 30s. So he could probably go 10, 20 years. I'm sure that had something to do with it. But I think the big question coming in was, this is the dude from Twilight. How can this guy be the new Batman? He doesn't even look like an action hero. Tell me you've ever seen this guy as an action hero until now. Well, I don't see him as an action hero, but I do think I want to respond to a few things you said there. I think, first of all, in terms of the rebooting and recasting, I think Batman is an iconic character like uh, Dracula or James Bond. He is a literary figure at this point. He's a literary figure that will be, there will be so many incarnations. I mean, there's going to be a Batman TV series. Is that they're going to do this Batman? There's going to be a Penguin TV series. So I think the, the universe of Batman and multiple people playing him, I think that's just the way it's going to be. So that's one. And and then the other thing is I think that it's all about the vision you have for this. You as the actors, the screenwriter, the director, everything. So the vision of Batman. Now, that being said, yeah, is it time to see some new heroes on screen, particularly heroes of color? Yes. And that's a whole other conversation we clearly will get into later in the show. And in regards to Robert Pattinson, I don't think people see him just as that guy from Twilight anymore, at least not in the industry. I think he's established himself over the last 10, 11 years as an actor who does all this weird, edgy, interesting character stuff. So I think if you look literally at everybody from Harry Potter, with the exception maybe of uh, the girl who plays Hermione, he's really he's the breakout star i mean nobody else from that series is leading giant tent poles look the guy the guy has shown that he's more than twilight he's shown that he can act i think much like daniel radcliffe the dude's been in some weird weird bizarre <laughs> yes, yes. movies yes, yes. that i cannot say that they're blockbuster or that they're so well acted that I had to take a seat and relook at all the Sidney Poitier movies and the De Niro movies because this guy's acting was something to behold. Never. I actually don't think Robert Pattinson should be the Batman, but I saw the Batman and I said, damn, he wasn't so bad. But then again, this whole Batman feels completely new. This whole Batman feels fresh. It actually feels of the times. And it's because it's dark. And this is the beef I now have again. When Batman and the Justice League came out, everybody was complaining that Superman was too dark because he killed another man. And Superman would never do that. It's like, okay, fine. But we're playing he's playing within a dark universe of the Zack Snyder dark universe. Why is this Batman, after we had the Nolan Dark Batman and the Justice League Zack Snyder Batman, why are we having another dark Batman? Why isn't this a happier Batman? Why is this guy goth? Why is he punk rock? Why is he Ramones? Why is he the Clash? Why is this dude on that cure level? Why is Matt Reeves creating another dark Batman. I can answer every single question you just asked. First of all, Batman is a dark character. He's got a dark past. He's got a dark beginning. He lives in the shadows. He is a dark character. Batman's supposed to be dark. Batman only got this happy attribution, really, based on the early, early Batmans from, let's just say, back in the 40s and 50s. And when they did him in the 60s, he became like a cartoon. After that, Batman's always been or tried to be dark because, let's face it, a guy running around in a bat suit, how do you make that serious? That was, that was the hardest thing to do. I think Tim Burton was able to pull it off to an extent by making it weird and, and gothic and everything. I think Batman's always going to be dark. Batman is a dark character. That's just part. He's called the Dark Knight, not only because he's out at night 
and it's he's dark because he's a dark character. He's wearing all black. He's 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 a loner. He's 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 all these things. So I think Batman's always dark. In in answer to your other question about making him young and so emo looking, I think that that's that's what we've evolved to. I mean, I think like you said, it's today. It's updated. The emo goth, like I'm in the shadows. I don't really deal with people. I'm so pale that I never get the sun. That's definitely a part of youth and youth culture today. And I think that's what he appeals to. What is the big difference between this, the Batman, Matt Reeves, the Batman, and Christopher Nolan's, the Batman? All right. A couple things are huge, huge difference here. The huge, huge difference between these two, between that trilogy and this Batman film, uh, besides its length, is that Batman came out of detective comics. He was solving crimes. And if you even read some of the interviews with Matt Reeves, to him, this is more a crime uh, solving story first, and then everybody else becomes whoever they are. So to me, I this reminded me of the Batman comics I read back in the day, you know, where Batman was more of a detective and he and Commissioner Gordon without solving crimes. And that's what this really, I think, does. I think this Batman film feels more like a graphic novel than any other Batman film I've seen. Now, what about the three-hour length, Mike? Well, I think comic book movies have gotten to that point. And I think that, uh, I, I don't think you can tell a story like this, or I don't think they're trying even to tell stories like this in under two hours. I think the under two hour thing is 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 almost passe. But any other th- movie with three hours, you'd be bitching about. You'd be like, ah, man, what is this with three hour film? But why do you allow it for the Batman? Again, I think it's a beloved character. Two, I think you get immersed in the world. Three, these are, you know, clearly superhero movies have a larger fan base than anything. And four, if the movie has momentum and, you know, you care. I mean, we live in an age now where people will binge a show and spend six, eight hours in a weekend just watching a show, 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 show. I think our viewing habits have changed. I think long movies can exist now, and a three-hour movie could never have happened without an intermission 40 years ago. Nowadays, it's just run the movie, okay? It's just let it go. At three hours, two, two hours, 47 minutes without credits, great. I, I think that things, I think times have changed. So we're looking at a Pattinson as like a young Batman. I would almost, not a teenage Batman, but... He seems like in his late 20s, early 30s Batman. Um, and it does feel like a mystery movie. It feels like a who done it, Who killed this person? And, oh, it was him. But now that we have him, now there's somebody else also a part of this that we had no idea about. Let's go off into another mystery movie here. And I like that. I'm not going to lie. I actually really enjoyed the Batman. I'm actually very positive about the future of this DC movie. And if it'll be interesting to see if they apply the same sort of uh, dark effect to the, all the rest of the DCs. Because then it becomes an aesthetic. Uh, and and, and my, my beef has always been, can this darkness work for all the characters? Especially Superman. Will we see a standalone, dark, Batman, emo-like Superman, Mike? Do you think it would work? No, I, I think hopefully what DC has realized is what Marvel knew from the beginning, which is every character has its own tone, has its own feeling. The problem was that after the success of Nolan's Batman, then they gave uh, Zack Snyder the keys to the kingdom. Zack Snyder's a dark guy. He comes from horror films. He took them all dark and cynical. That was a mistake. I don't think Justice League needs to be dark and cynical. I think they started to get on the right track with Aquaman and Wonder Woman by giving them their own thing. I think they were trying to jump the gun, obviously, with what they what they were doing with the, the Justice League. But no, I, I think it's a mistake to try and keep all the DC characters dark. I think Shazam also shows you, like, imagine them doing a dark Shazam. I mean, Shazam worked better than I thought it would, but it worked because it was always kind of a silly character with a silly outfit. You know, Green Lantern, they tried to do Green Lantern, and Green Lantern's kind of a silly character with silly powers. You know, it just... How you do a dark Green Lantern? <laughs> well, Mike Sargent, you know, could direct that. <laughs> well, I'm just saying. I, I mean, 
sure, maybe one day we'll come back and be like, dude, you remember when we said on the show, how do you do a dark green lantern? They did a dark, and maybe it'll work. But I feel like, no, everything, you can't put this veneer, this dark template. And I think that they tried to do that with Superman and it didn't work. Would you have wanted this, the Batman, to be rated R instead of the PG-13 rating that it got? Because a lot of people are upset that this didn't this didn't get the hardcore R. And I don't know what audiences want from the Batman, man. It's like it's it's like they want the, the, I'm not sure if you remember back in the 80s, you know, uh, there was this whole documentary series called The Faces of Death. <laughs> and and kids used to watch yeah, it. I, I they used to my friends used to make me watch these sick disturbing, you Real know, documentary snuff films. Snuff right, films, right, man, right, at the right. age of 11, 12. And to this day, I'm going, bro, the PG-13, it feels rated R, but without nudity or cursing, and you kind of don't need that in the superhero films. It becomes a little too realistic, and, and you still want them to be, you know, fantasy. But to me, this movie didn't need that rated R. Do you agree? Well, I, I do agree. I mean, I think Ryan Reynolds has already showed us what you can do with R, and that's fine, and we can have lots of cursing and weirdness. But that's... That's a, that's common. Well, that's my saying. That's a common. That's what I'm saying. I don't think this needs to be rated R to be good. No, I don't have any issue with it. I think, though, I do get that Matt Reeves, the director and co-writer of the film, was going for a more realistic. I don't know about dark as much as... Uh, well, listen, I would definitely say dark, but I think more in the vein of Saw or Seven, where they're trying to solve a mystery from a psychotic individual who's doing something crazy and, and doing these horrific things to people. Like I said, I was reminded of Saw. I was reminded of Seven. Uh, for me, the issues I have with this film are not the fact that it's rated PG-13. The issues I have with this film are the things that, while I do feel this film is um, feels like a graphic novel, and it's definitely a clear vision. There are a lot of things I liked, a lot of things that work. There are things that happen in the film to me that, that are that are a little silly, a little cartoonish. There's a sequence where the Batmobile comes out and we finally get to see, all right, we're gonna see the Batmobile. And it's like, okay, where's the Batmobile? And he revs the engine, like and the crop and the and the criminals are like, oh my god, oh my god, it's 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 a it's a hot rod. You know, it's sort of it's like, you know, so at a few times and I get it. I think a lot of what makes this film work is the cinematography. I think Greg Frazier is freaking amazing. Uh, I mean, he also did Dune and, and Dune Part 2, and he also did, you know, Rogue One, the Star Wars story, Zero Dark Thirty. He's done all these great films. And I think even right now in the trades, all of the actors are talking about what a genius he is. And there are so many shots in here that make you feel like you're in a graphic novel where you're getting this perspective that you only see in a graphic novel. That's what I like. Yeah, and it's, in it's interesting because, you know, Colin Farrell was unrecognizable as the Penguin. This is one of the better films in terms of superheroes that I've seen in a while. I mean, that's including Shang-Chi, that's including The Eternals from Marvel, um, and I just hope that they maintain this vibe with him because I think it works, and I think it allows us to not forget the Nolan films, but kind of put the Nolan films in the rearview mirror. And it's time we start distancing ourselves from it. I think Matt Reeves nailed it. I think Pattinson will get an applause from this critic in particular. I think he did a great job. Should we have had a black Batman, Mike? You know, I don't want a black Batman, okay? I want... You don't want a blackified no, no, Batman? I, I, I'd like a, 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 a... I'm more into a new character who is black from the black from the giddy up. You know what I mean? Now, I mean... It, the fact that Commissioner Gordon's black, the fact that Catwoman is black, I, I like that. I mean, I do like that they slightly touch upon, you know, race in this Batman film. I, I'm more interested in them really saying something about society. So there's there's a there's some undertones that I that I like, some undertones I, I, I question in terms of, you know, this the crime ridden Gotham City concept, you know, and I, let's put it this way. To me, I think Batman is a certain kind of character, and we've grown to know and love him, and he, he is who he is. I, I don't mind seeing some new characters. 
Listen, if you guys are into noir films from like the 50s and the 40s and you live the grunge era, <laughs> the emo era uh, of music in the late 80s, early 90s, then this Batman you're going to love. You're going to love this Batman. Well, I agree with you. I think there's something for everyone. I think it's definitely got, you know, if if you're into, like you said, that that scene and that look uh, uh, and that sensibility, you'll, you'll enjoy what's gone here. I really enjoyed the score, Michael Giacchino. I think that the, the Batman score is very good. That, that was one of the things that stood out. There are a lot of things about this movie that work. There are definitely some things that don't for me. Uh, this is a decidedly low-tech Batman. What, what are your thoughts on the fact that Batman was so low-tech? As soon as I saw his mask, it looked like it had been like leather patches that he sewed together with like threads that he found, you know, in in his desk or something. It was. Re- yeah, you're right. His mask was cheap. Uh, his suit, though, looked worn out like it's been weathered, beaten. It wasn't this shiny new costume that Alfred had done and yeah there there was this like low budget aspect to this big blockbuster which was interesting one of the things that made Batman fun and and this is where it really starts to feel like a Bond type of of reboot to me where Bond movies were always they they they, Bond aficionados have what they call the bloat and then the purge where the Bond movies keep going more and more fantastic, more and more gadgets, more and more things, more and more things, and then they reboot, go back to basics. Bond has no gadgets. He's just him, bare knuckles, fighting, no no gimmicks, no lasers, and then slowly it builds back to that. And so this reminded me, it's like, okay, they strip away all the artifice, and we just have a guy who's trying to... Make the city a better place. You know what I mean? <laughs> and you still get the voice, Ben. You still get the voice. So, yeah. A little bit. But I like the Batman. You like the Batman. And I think uh, I think, I think, people are going to respond. I think it's going to be number one at the box office. And I think it's going to be over $100 million in the first week. Do you want to predict? First week in $100 mil or second week? Oh, I think it'll definitely make $100 mil in the first week. I think it'll be... I think it'll make a lot of money. Because this is the kind of movie... Honestly, I would go see again in the theater with a packed audience. Like, this makes me miss packed audience. I love when something happens and the audience goes, oh, you know, I miss that for these kind of movies. That's the thing I miss most. Why do you miss that? Why do you need that? Uh, in your life? You know, because that's how I fell in love with movies. You know, I don't think anybody fell in love with movies. By other, another person's reacting no, to a movie? A, that's how you fell in love with it? person reacting, you fool. The, when, when, when there's a group. Uh, 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 dynamic, like when everybody in the crowd is into it. You know, when you go to see a Star Wars movie with the intended crowd or or, or an action film with the intended crowd or even a horror movie with the intended crowd, with the target audience, they make seeing the movie part of the experience. I don't think anybody fell in love with movies just by sitting at home watching movies. I think people fell in love with movies because of the experience they had of going out, going to the movies, getting there, clapping, laughing, all of that group, you know, effort. Now, that being said, I ain't going to no movies, but I'm just saying I I miss I I miss I miss going to the movies with the I've missed that as a critic for years. But this is the kind of movie like when I saw the last Avengers movie Endgame, I I, I, it was it was a great experience, but I, I really wanted to go back and see it with a crowd and I never did. But I wanted to. Yeah, I I I hear you. So today we're talking to Tim Fielder. He's a good friend of yours, Mike. Uh, we got a chance to talk to him. Uh, he's He's been an Afrofuturist, what, for 30 years? He's been an Afrofuturist for 30 years. And, and one of the things we were talking about just earlier, you and I, Jack, was that, dude, I want to see a black Batman. And no, I, I, I want to see brown and black creators create their own heroes. It's like, yeah, I've seen tons and tons of variations of white heroes and cowboys and, and, and vampires and, and superheroes. And I, I, I'd like to see characters that we create in worlds that we create.
I want to say I've done the show with Jack Rico for a long time. And one of the, the ideas behind Brown and Black is that, well, he's brown, I'm black, and he's Latino. Uh, I'm African-American, as they say. And, uh, you know, I have a lot of questions about Latino culture. He has a lot of questions about black culture. And we, we both uh, have some knowledge, but are, are interested in each other's culture and, and see it as a way of coming together, as, a, as opposed to a lot of what's still going on out there where black and brown folks have not yet come together like they should. So the whole idea of the show is that intersection between, uh, you know, race and pop culture. So that's what we cover. So when I brought up the concept of Afrofuturism to Jack, about two years ago, Jack was like, yeah, I've been hearing about what, what exactly is Afrofuturism? And I was like, dude. It's the and, future, Mike. And, yeah. And I, I gave, I expounded and Jack, you know, people don't that know me. I have several lives, uh, and not everybody knows me as an Afrofuturist. Uh, a know. forerunner. A for, Afrofuturist. For, you know, uh, no, pioneering Afrofuturist. Okay, 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 that's fine. Pioneer, pioneering Afrofuturist. So not a lot of people know me as that. Not today, anyway. And so uh, so I answered that. Now, I'm going to have our guest, who is Tim Fielder, who is an artist, who is right now getting all the acclaim he should get. And, and we'll get a little bit into his resume. But I'm going to ask our resident uh, and, and I say our, meaning New York's own, okay? Because you live in New York, even though you're not from New York, you're from Mississippi. We own you now, Tim, <laughs> just so you know. You are New York's... Uh, finally! Finally! Uh, <laughs> Afrofuturism is something that is in the news, and but all we really... I think most people who don't know what Afrofuturism is, it's just science fiction with Black people. So what is Afrofuturism from Tim Fielder, a, a a pioneering and now getting to be pretty damn well known with an exhibit at Carnegie Hall, Afrofuturist. Yeah, uh, well, I will give you the micro answer and I'll give you the mic macro answer. So the micro answer, meaning what it means for me personally, Afrofuturism is uh, the blending of science, technology, uh, uh, Black culture and what I classify as race politics and the thing that comes up, the product that comes up when those things collide, that's what Afrofuturism is. And an even smaller version, I call it Negroes in spaceships. Right? <laughs> now, on a macro level, because I've had to begin to expand my view of what Afrofuturism is because it means different things for different people. And you know, Back in the day, Mike, when we were doing this in your living room, it was like six dudes in there, right? That's what we talk about. What, 1990, whenever that was. That was a long time ago. But that has changed. Now you have people in housing law. You have people in politics. Alondra Nelson works for the White House, man. She started the Afrofuturism Users Group in the 90s. She works for Biden. You know, so it means... That modality that I described, where you have science fiction, technology, black culture, race politics, but it's fused to any medium, any form. It could be fashion. It can be fine art. It could be comics. In my case, it could be film, Black Panther. It can be what you guys are doing. You have a literally a Latino man and a African-American man who are using advanced technology to interview a practicing old head Afrofuturist. That's Afrofuturism. Wow. It permeates our entire world. It permeates our society. And uh, thank God, uh, I, I, my joke, they pulled me out of the ice, Mike. I was froze <laughs> for about 15, 20 years. They pulled me out of the ice, and now I'm Captain America. I'm back. <laughs> anyway, I'm sorry. That was a crazy answer I know. Tim, why is there the need for Afrofuturism? Uh the need to see oneself in the future to say, I may not get there, but I've been to the mountaintop and I've seen what it looks like. That's a person who's saying they can see beyond themselves for their children. You have to be able to say, okay, I'm here right now, but I can envision a life that is beyond me. That's what Afrofuturism is. Now, the, 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 some people would call it survival back in the day. 
But Afrofuturism is a dope phrase that applies and rolls right off the tongue, right? But it's that's all it is. It's the ability to be able to project ourselves into a future where we traditionally have not been allowed to exist. So you're telling me that we've been living in white futurism forever. Some people call it white supremacy. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I just got to add to that, uh, um, that what you're saying there, because I'm holding back because we, we could do a whole show uh, just going back and forth about Afrofuturism and what it is. But I have to add to it. One of the things that's occurred to me, you know, and, and I'm going to say this, Jack, and, and I know Tim understands for me as someone who is so like a, you know, huge comic book sci-fi nerd as a teenager, you know, creating my own stuff uh, and knowing that I was like the only one or like, oh, look, another one. Hey, Tim, you know, across the room. Literally. Uh, so, so this is like the future we envisioned. Okay. But one of the conversations that I've heard said is that black people are natural Afrofuturists. They're natural science fiction lovers. And, and the idea is that if to be an enslaved people, to even imagine that you could be free takes a lot of imagination. And, and I, that, stuck with me just the idea because if i look back in interviews and things i I was saying back then you know speaking for afrofuturism like tim does today i would say things like well black people haven't really discovered what science fiction can be for them tim tell me about this incredible uh exhibition festival that's happening at carnegie hall with afrofuturism uh, you are the man behind it. I was telling Mike, wait a minute, which one is it? Is it the one at Carnegie Hall or is it the one at the Met? There's two Afrofuturist exhibitions going on at the same exact time. And I in said, Mike, two, I'm not. In, yeah, two major white art in, spaces. <laughs> in the, 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 the gilded age of right. eliteness. And now you're seeing this. Why haven't we seen this before? Why okay. is Why did it take off now? Uh, man, you're a great journalist. Uh, by asking that question, what you did was you put me on the spot and then led, you gave a leading question that allows me to dig my way out of it. Brilliant. Brilliant. I mean, this guy, oh my God, where did you find this guy, Mike? Where did you find him, man? Yeah, I created him. I created uh, that, that, that's, okay. I know, I know you're a professional. I'm just saying, you know, I'm just, just trying to be here. Uh, all right. So let me tackle that. I am not responsible for this festival. Uh, this festival, because you have different things that are going on. You have the Met show, the, the Afrofuturist period room. Michelle Commander and uh, uh, was the co-curator of that, did a fantastic job. Uh, uh, you have the Schomburg, uh, which has this boundless show, uh, which is, I'm, I'm in that show. Then you have the uh, uh, show, the and I'm just talking about the gallery shows. You have the gallery show at Carnegie Hall put on by Dr. Ronaldo Anderson, the Black Angel of History. Uh, then you have my show, which is my career retrospective over, I, I've been calling it 30 years, but maybe we need to start adding some numbers on it. You know, I, you know it's going to be 40 years of Afrofuturism. All right, so that's just one aspect. But Carnegie Hall... Uh, about two years on the direction of Adrian Fuchs, who is the festival director, uh, came up with the idea of doing a uh, an expose on what Afrofuturism is. And he assembled uh, about five curators. There, I, I, I sometimes might get the names wrong. There's Yatasha Womack. There's Ronaldo Anderson. There's Cherie Renee uh, Thomas, who, Mike, as you know, is an old head like us, even though Cherie is a, a, a forever young, babe. I had to get that part out there. Uh, then there's Lewis. I'm, I'm going to butcher his last name, but it's Lewis. Um, I'm not going to worry about his last name, but he's awesome. And then there's King Brett. So from my perception, those cultural cur- uh, curators would put together the entire modality of a show. And that would involve music, fine arts, exhibitions, film, uh, spoken word. It's like a Uh, renaissance. uh, It's showing what Afrofuturism is as as best it can in its totality. And the reason why uh, uh, it's such a big thing is because it's not just one thing. It's 
all of these things. There are over 70 cultural partners. My company, Diesel Funk Studios, is an official festival partner, right? Uh, so meaning that, you know, yes, yeah, it's, it's sexy on the outside. Yes, well, I'm a cultural partner of uh, Carnegie Hall. <laughs> but then you're responsible. I mean, you look in the guide. I got like 15 programs in there, right? I have to run those programs. So it's not like you're getting it for free. You know, you have to work and you have to make sure your programming is there. Part of this interview, again, brothers, thank you so much for letting me come on here because you got to promote the program, right? Uh, so there's that. And then there's the, because I've been doing this for a while and there are other people who've been doing it as long as I have, our job is to build what I classify as the economy of Afrofuturism. Mm. Is it just an idea? Does it generate products? Where do those products go? How do we identify demographics for those products? That's what our job is, to basically go out and be ambassadors of Afrofuturism. Because I think we can all concede now, at least for the moment, that Afrofuturism is not our one-off thing. It's not something that comes and disappears the next day. It's been around heavily for several years, but now we're going past that initial starburst explosion, and now systems have evolved around it where now we're saying, okay, oh, this is a scholarly wing of Afrofuturism. These people here are more into scholarship. Oh, there's the comics guys over there. Okay, all right, interesting. Oh, here's the film guys. Like, for example, just last week, my twin brother, so if I'm rude to you on the street, it's not me, it's him. Uh, he's I'm bald, he's not bald. I use that joke, it always gets a laugh. But anyway, the point is, is that he did a, a, a black horror film called Flow, right? Uh, and he directed it. Wow. That's Afrofuturism. But then there are all kinds of stuff. Excuse me, P-H-L-O. Which is short for phlebotomy. Wow. It means working with blood and stuff like that. Apparently it doesn't work, but hey, that's what it was, right? So that's the world we're in. Uh, I hope I answered your question. I'm so grateful. Do you know, man, how surreal it is to be in this? Well, Mike, you know, it's surreal. Is it surreal? Th this whole age we're living in is surreal on it's every level. It's the age of there Afrofuturism. There's, a, there's every level. I, and Jack and I have talked about Afrofuturism, and my prediction is that it will take over. Uh, really? You think so? I, I'll tell you why I think so. And, and I'll say this with you here, and I want to hear Jack's opinion of too, of course. Uh, I, I think so because I think I think the reason Black Panther was so successful is not because it was the best uh, Marvel movie, because it wasn't. Okay, I think the reason it was is because without realizing it, they got people to embrace the notion of what we were just talking about. What if Black people, and Indigenous people? And I mean brown people, because there's plenty of, you know, Europeans did this all over the planet. What if they were unfettered? What if they had never been colonized? That one concept has never been seen before, ever. And it's not even stated. And I think just as the beginning, like you said, the idea, to me, the beauty of science fiction is that you can talk about the human condition. Well, we have talked about the human condition in many, many science fiction films, science fiction TV series, endlessly, endlessly, endlessly. But race and the real politic of race by those who are most affected by it, that's just something we haven't seen a lot of for a multitude of reasons. You so, know, uh, I remember when I first saw Get Out from Jordan Peele. Mm -hmm. My brain couldn't comprehend what I was watching. I was like, wait, wait, wait. A black horror film? Nah. Why is this the first time I'm watching this? Like, I just kind of went back in my head and I don't remember watching black horror films. I know there have been. I think there was a vampire one with uh, Eddie Murphy. Uh, but but those are always like comical in that way. They were never that life-threatening by the time you left the theater until you saw this where where. If somebody said to you, hey, by the way, that was uh, John Carpenter had done that, you know, but with white people, you, you, you wouldn't question it. But my lack of seeing black people in horror films and it being the topic was so shocking to me 
that I could not get over. And all I wanted to do from that moment on, I just started trying to watch as much as I could about that and learn more about science fiction and learn more about black culture in film and Oscar Michaud from that point onward. That's what Afrofuturism did to me. And that's the power that I think it has on somebody who isn't black. It overwhelmed me, man. And I just I just want to see more. I, I, I need this to be the normalcy. So first of all, I think you are good because I believe this is normal. I believe the demographics have already shifted in that direction. I don't think we will be going back. I think this is it. This is part of why we're, you know, we're seeing the uproars in, pol- in political systems and, you know, people banning books because they already know it's over. And mm-hmm. so burn the books burn them you know just you know don't please don't burn the books all right that's the first thing second thing is there are there has been a decades-long tradition of horror films featuring black people specifically black men black women have not been that visible unfortunately however what is the trait michael always towards the end of the credit i'm gonna put my ear up here mike what happened well, the black person has to die. They always have to die. Well, they die, die in the science fiction Die, too. die, yeah, always. They just so. die. Everybody, every black man dies. I, you, it's it happens so much. We can't even say spoiler alert. We can't even say it's like okay, here it comes. Wow. Okay, we got happen. two it's minutes left. Happening. What do you remember sitting in the theater? Okay, we got two minutes left. Okay, Leviathan. Okay, there's Ernie Hudson. Yep, just one minute left. <laughs> okay, all right, there is he dead. And then the credits roll. Same thing for Night of the Living Dead. Now, when you get to get out, my old man, who was 87, that came out. So at that time, he had to be 84, 85. He's sitting in the theater with us. And I know I can look at this man and think, He's been prepped for 80 plus years. He knows what's about to happen. And spoiler alert, the guy gets away. My dad goes, oh. (laughs) Oh. He looks at us and he goes, that's the best movie I've ever seen in my life. (laughs) It's because, you know, that Negro got away. What? So that is the essence of Afrofuturism. Even though it's horror, it's still like, oh, whoa. So it's infinitum, right? I said to myself, and it's a spoiler alert, but, you know, whatever. It's not about what happens. We all know the guy never dies because I'm tired of people that look like us, three men of color here talking, tired of us dying, man. What is that? I'm telling you, there's this movie, I, I mean, I don't want to criticize because I'm sure the filmmakers are awesome. There's this movie called Life. Oh, right? yeah. Where they yes. find this alien creature and the brother dies in the trailer. I'm like, come on, come on. Yeah, and it's just what we have the power to do, do the magnificent disruptive power of technology. Totally destabilized. You guys, Black and Brown Festival. Oh, here, get news. I'm like, yo, Mike, can I can I get on the Black and Brown Festival? I mean, the Black and Brown podcast. Please, please, let me let me up because you guys, technology allows you to supplant, to disrupt the traditional system. That's what it is. You're you guys. That's what you've done. It's what all of us have the opportunity to do, and that is what makes it so beautiful. The fact that, Mike, you and I are still alive here to see it. Isn't that incredible? It's, it's like I said, sometimes I, I look, I see, I'll get these emails. And you know how it is now. Uh, yeah. just the, the sci-fi, one of the sci-fi parts of our lives is if we're sitting here talking about Afrofuturism, or if I look at one thing with Afrofuturism, that's in my feed now. I'm just seeing nothing but Afrofuturism. And it's like, wow, yeah. So I... The fact that I could have a bunch of Afrofuturism come up in my feed—it's crazy—is like 
this is Afrofuturism. So it's yeah. like living. Oh my God, I can't believe you said, it's like living in a science fiction movie, man. That's, dude, you know my, I, my you know I'm my email address. So. I was just gonna say <laughs> it's like living in a science fiction movie. It's like my Google alerts every day morning I wake up. I get a list of Afrofuturist subjects every day. Well, yes. you know, and I, I want to put something to 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 you, Tim, and uh-huh. and by way of Jack. You know, and and I want to know how you feel about it, Jack, because um, I think blacks and Latinos love horror and science fiction. Oh yeah, we lo- we, we, we over index. We, we love it. the number one genre. We, we love superhero for movies Latinos too. Yes. We do. Yet, you know, there's been dozens of superhero movies, thousands of horror movies, hundreds of of science fiction. We're now just in this age of black characters and you could name some black actors who don't die in the science fiction film but latinos you know who have a lot to say about a lot of things with the human condition latino science fiction is not yet a thing latino oh. horror maybe but w- what's your thought on on latino science fiction i want to know from both you jack rico and tim i want to get your thoughts on that and and the crossover i don't know a, a latino futurism type of genre for ourselves where much like the black community, we don't really see ourselves on screen. It's changing for the black community, but not so much for the Latino community, even though we over uh, index in the population of the United States, our political power, our cultural power, our power in any way, it's just, we're kind of invisible. And it's weird because I think in the Latino community in particular, we have seen our science fiction through a white gaze. We have seen ourselves in that whiteness of science fiction, and we're like, yeah, I, 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 think we, I think we fit there. And I think that through the discovery of Afrofuturism, we now start telling ourselves, wait a minute, but what about our history? I, I, you know, it's just really weird. We're like in some limbo place within the fabric of American culture, man. And some things we need and some things we don't. I, I don't even know, necessarily know if we need a form of futurism, but it's a great question. and something's going to make me think a lot. All right. Now, Tim. Okay. All right. What's I've been thought? waiting. I've been waiting for this. <laughs> so let me tell you about my boys down in Austin, Texas. The five meets comics guys, Rolando and Oscar. Check it out. Professional comic book artists writer and comic book artist, right? Two dudes, right? I worked with them in Austin, Texas. In November last year, I was brought down by uh, Frederick Luis Aldama, PhD, big time, uh, speculative guy who's putting on his event in March. I'll let you guys know about that. Uh, at UT Austin, Division 1A, uh, he formed the Soul Con. You may have heard of Soul Con, the Black and Brown Festival. He's the person who formed that. So Latino, first of all, Latino fandom is alive and well. That's the wow. first thing. That's the first thing. You guys got to know who to connect with. Don't worry. I'm going to put y'all in contact with Frederick. He got you covered. All right. That's the first thing. Second thing, let's go back to the five meets guys, right? The five meets guys are not only cartoonists, right, and writer team. Check it out. They are professional wrestlers. Ha! Whoa, 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 wait, wait. Twist. It gets better. They are professional comedic wrestlers. Interesting. Blew my mind. Blew my mind. Blew my mind. Uh, 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 Sharon Lee Dela Cruz. Fantastic cartoonist. Kicking butt. Of course, you got Los Brothers Hernandez. Love and Rockets. Of course. Well, that's, uh, yeah. Robert Rog- Ro- Rodriguez owns Austin. Hey, no book of Boba Fett without Robert Rodriguez. That's right. Right? So you got a robust. Come on, let's be frank. Y'all just as dope and corny and fandom hooked like we are in the yeah. black community. Yeah. So. Y'all doing fine. We all doing fine. That's so it's interesting. Just, what happens? The examples what happens, that you I'll just gave, this. Tim, are, 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 are on the money, except that we've never put it under an umbrella. Guess what? It is under an umbrella. 
I just need to put you in contact with the guy who formed the umbrella. I got you covered. Okay. Don't worry. Wow. His name is Frederick Luis Aldama. He won an Eisner about two years ago. Wow. I'm gonna put you in contact with him. All right. We're ready. He's the man. All right. Oh, this is gonna be good. I'm also called the hype master. Thank you very much. Go ahead, guys. Let's keep going. What's going on with our creators that aren't creating science fiction films at the rate that we thought they would be doing it by this point? We're about three to five years out from that. Hmm. And that is that because through the magnificent, disruptive nature of technology, it's allowed certain people who have had ideas to bring things to light. For example, Infinitum. I've been, we've been in negotiations over Infinitum, whether or not it's going to be a series or a film, for a year. Wow. It's like, it, it just has to be the right deal because, I mean, Infinitum is so big. It's just, it, it takes place over 2 billion years. It's got to be big, right? Yeah. You can't just do it in 30 minutes. You know, on our, it, it has to be bigger than that. Uh, there are numerous uh, uh, black uh, filmmakers who are coming along, uh, particularly in the short film area, short film area. Uh, there's a film section for the Carnegie Hall Afrofuturism Festival that has a day specifically devoted to Black science fiction, they're mostly shorts, but that's there. Uh, Joe Illich, G-Unit, uh, uh, 50 Cents, just announced a deal just yesterday with, what, is it Illuminous? Illuminous, yes. Yeah, yes. Uh, 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 my man with Stranger Comics with Naomi, they signed a deal with HBO, uh, Prentice Penny of uh, um, Insecure fame. I love that show. Just uh, uh, um, Uraeus, I'm sorry, Jason Wise, uh, David Crownson of Harriet Tubman, Demon Slayer. You can't get a more dope title than that. All being produced under that wing. Myself with my twin brother, we've done Flow. We have a TV series called The Diesel Funk Show, right? Which we produced, well, really two seasons, but we decided just to start out with the first season. Eight episodes, 24 minutes apiece. And now we have the Black Metropolis documentary based on the show and my career, which premieres on March 9th all during the Carnegie Hall Afrofuturism Festival. So give it a year. Hmm. Give it a year or two, and the conversation will change. And I believe that Black and Brown filmmakers can do it because the technology and the environment, come on, let's let's be frank. COVID is terrible. It's set terrible. The silver lining is we ripped through every library it's <laughs> true man we ripped through it it's like i'm just not gonna watch reacher again i ripped it that last week i'm done mm-hmm, mm-hmm. where's season two that's it the first thing when does season two come right i want to see that dude crack some more skulls that was fun right so what's happening is because of that environment these streaming services are in the middle of a content war and i'll be try to be i'm sorry i don't mean to drag on but i'll try to be very brief The content war my twin brother, Jim, and I initially thought was in the streaming environment. It is not. Hmm. It extends to all media. So you guys are actually, in fact, at war with mainstream media because you get noticed within the mainstream media and you provide quality content that is effectively and efficiently produced. You can access any subject, right? And because of that, you're at war not just with mainstream news outlets, you're at war with tweets, with Facebook posts, with TikTok videos, right? And that war permeates through every medium, comics, news, you guys in podcasts, that's a medium, uh, live, you know, uh, live action film. This is a boom time for documentary film. Yeah, you know what I mean. I was looking at a, a documentary the other day on Kid Cudi. Um, oh yeah, on I, Amazon. It's just we're in the middle of a content war. It's it is a buyer's market. <laughs> Yo, know, maybe I could flip that. Meaning that for the people who consume, we can consume anything. For the people that have to buy and manufacture, 
if a content creator, which you guys have already broken the code, right? Mike's sitting in his studio. I noticed his strategically placed James Scott poster behind his head, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah. You That's got the, the symmetry happening with the light like you on the bridge of the Enterprise. I was, I'm telling you guys, he got that the, the orange and the, it looks like the bridge of the Enterprise. It's ridiculous, right? But clearly planned, right? Clearly. But you guys have the power to do that. Me, look at my background. How many copies can you have of Infinitum in the background? <laughs> it's all planned because we're in a content war, and that content war allows a creator to expand anywhere. This can go, this can be played in China. Well, I do agree, and and it's interesting what you're saying about the content war because we'll get offered the exact same guests that have been on the Today Show, uh, you know, the the whatever top whatever show. Well, we just interviewed uh, Chef Kwame, who yeah. was on Good Kelly and Ripa, yeah. right? All, like all the white validated outlets, the ones that let you know that you've made it, right? Because God forbid he goes to Univision or to BET, uh, the publicist will be like. No, no, we need to put him in the whitest uh, media outlets possible for white validation, sir. He was more authentic with us than I bet you he's been with any other outlet, mainstream outlet. So, Dan, this is a question for you guys. Does that mean you guys are now mainstream? Well, I think I think my my answer to your question, Tim, is that we're not mainstream, but I think mainstream knows it can't exist without sidestream. And the I avenues and streets. Dream. I've never heard that word. That is very interesting. Well, that's my. I made that up. But that's and my. It tries, it tries, it rolls right off the side left. That, no, that's 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 a dope term. Side stream. Wow. Yeah, that's because that's you a get one. a bunch of side streams. They're going to eventually become. That's my take on this. I read lots of science fiction books, so this is my take on things. So let it be recorded that. Uh, on this day, uh, uh, 221, 2022, at 135 p.m., Mike Sargent coined the phrase sidestream. Side he said, you can't have a mainstream without the existence of a sidestream. Okay, I've recorded that. You all can continue now. Go Thank for you. It. Thank you. Go ahead. Well, you know something else you, you said earlier too, Tim, that I wanted to uh, jump off of too, and when Jack said it, it reminded me, you were talking about how the, 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 these curators were trying to show the entire modality of, of Afrofuturism and you know what that will look like. And then the real question is, how can it be monetized? How can it be commodified? You know, I mean, that's just, that's what happens. We're in a, we're not in a democracy. We're in a capitalist society. So uh, I feel like everything you described about what's happened to Afrofuturism is the exact same thing that happened with jazz, exact same thing that happened with rap, exact same thing that happened with reggaeton, exact same thing that happened with, you know, Calypso, any, any music, that could be came from another culture eventually it gets popular and it's like all right how do we uh commodify this and make it you know how do we own it and i feel that's my fear that three to five next three to five is this is that renaissance we're doing all these things then eventually just like what would happen what happened with streaming and youtube eventually it becomes a big player tries to own it all what are your thoughts on that uh, my thoughts are uh, basically a rephrasing of what Arthur C. Clarke uh, was asked. Uh, there's a video of him. You could probably search it where where they asked him about what he thought about the future of computer technology. And he said, now, well, now, no, wait, for those who don't know who Arthur C. Clarke is, he's an acclaimed science fiction author, Hugo winning. He wrote most famously 2001 A Space Odyssey, the original book for that. So go ahead. Yes. So they asked him what he thought about computer technology and just rephrasing here or paraphrasing. He was saying eventually these computers will be smaller and they will be interconnected. He said, that's what will mm -hmm. happen. Then the interviewer asked him, yes, but won't that disconnect us from other humans? Won't that kind of terror cause problems? He said, yes, but the benefit to society will far outweigh any problems that will be caused. I will go to what my late uh, friend Patricia Robinson said when she was complaining about in the late 90s, the internet. Nobody reads. 
Nobody's mm-hmm. reading. I said, that is incorrect. She said, how, what do you mean? I said, there's more reading and writing going on than ever in the history of mankind due to the internet. I said, I believe what you're saying is there's a deluge, an unending deluge of bad grammar. Kevin J. Anderson, who is the famous science fiction writer, uh, written a ton of Star Wars books, uses voice dictation to make his books. And he's done almost 60 books. Wow. So that's like a thing. Dude, Jack, we are in it. We're not in the event horizon anymore. It's what I was telling my friend Ronaldo. We're not in the event horizon. We're in the middle of the black hole. And when you're in the black hole, black hole, what happens is the, the gravity becomes so strong. I'm sorry, I'm trying to be the whole Afrofuturist thing here. The gravity becomes so strong that the laws of physics break down. So what's happened if you're going to apply that to a real world scenario? Traditional media traditional usage it doesn't it doesn't track anymore everything is all everything goes it's like and this is the thing why i'm still trying to sort this part out it's like we are still adjusting on the fly Mm, because we're not in its final form right you know so let me ask you then tim what does the peak of Afrofuturism look like? Oh my God, I don't know. That one, uh, Mike. All right, get ready, Mike. This is being recorded, right? right? Yeah, I don't know. How can you not know, Tim? You're one of the pioneers. There's a whole <laughs> Carnegie Hall festival that you're participating me, in. I mean, oh, you okay, have Mike. To Mike, have... the voice of reason. Mike, the, I, I, the voice I'll of reason. You, I'll give you my take on that question. The peak of Afrofuturism, I think, is the same thing with any powerful art form. You know, Tim was saying earlier that, you know, yeah, let's start banning books. What does that say? That says, no, don't tell that story. No, that story cannot be heard. That story will change minds. It will change our society. So, yes, it will. I think stories will change society. I think that if hidden figures were not hidden, black women would be leaders in science. It would have changed the world. Now, that's just movies and reality, okay? So science fiction, like, and Afrofuturism specifically, and, and let me just say this, like you said, you know, you, you talk to Tim, an Afrofuturist, and the first thing he, you ask him about Latino futurism, he, he's all on it. You know why? Because the same reason we're doing this show, Brown and black people, that is the future. We know the future is us. White people know it right. too. And we know that if we tell the kind of stories that can empower us, empower our children, let's be real. So you're telling me that according yes. to the census, yes. spoiler alert, ladies mm-hmm. and gentlemen, by the year 2045, Afrofuturism will be at its peak because the population majority will be brown and black. The census is wrong. What do you think the census is? I, I, I don't think it's accurate. I think this. I think there's enough lawsuits going on now. I think the census is wrong. And what? And what is? And so, what does that mean? If it's wrong, what is it? Should it? What is it really saying? Come on, man. We try. We not. We try. Come on, man. We can't go that deep, man. Come on. We trying to. You got to make a living. I got to make a living. What are you talking about? Okay. Right, I just put it out there. We the can just leave it and wrong. move we'll on to the next okay. subject. Okay. Right, fine. Fine. Forget the census. <laughs> my the peak of Afrofuturism, in my opinion, is that. It will change the way it is. It will become normal. Like you said, why is it not normal? I think it will become so normal that looking back on how blind we were today when white supremacy is trying to hold on and they politicize, uh, uh, you know, a disease and all this ridiculousness, you know, I think that, again, this is optimistic, obviously, because I love science fiction. I think stories and, and these types of narratives, the kinds of narratives we're seeing now, I think the peak will be, it will have changed the literally the fabric of our society. So Jack, my answer is what Mike said. <laughs> <laughs> That's, I couldn't put it any better than that. It's like, I could be wrong. It is both optimistic. It is aspirational. It's very realistic and a little bit sad and solemn because it means a passing of, of life 
from one thing to another. You know, there's, of course, there's a melancholy uh, thing. You know, we'll just, you know, raid the Capitol, you know. But I just think he's right. And is it amazing that two old heads are here to see it? Well, I'm a young old head. Oh, it's okay. A, a young, I'm an old head. You know, I don't have any more hair. You still got your hair, man. My hair is gone except for over the beard. Yeah, listen, it's, it's, I'm in my last hurrah. You so, are, you guys are too funny. Well, first of all, when can we attend the Carnegie Hall Afrofuturism Festival? As soon as you go to the website, it's on the homepage Afrofuturism Citywide Festival. This is a big deal. Congratulations, Tim, on the contributions you've done to the culture. I'm glad that you're being recognized for it. And I'm glad that it's being shared with everyone else. And I hope that this goes to Europe. This goes to South America. This goes to Australia. That this goes global. And as I understand, the moon and Mars are waiting for us. <laughs> so, you know, just ask Bezos for a seat in one of his skyrocket ships, right? Um, when can we go? And what, what should be our takeaway from all of it? Yeah, so the Carnegie Hall Afrofuturism Festival has been going live since February 1st. Uh, they have their primary musical events at physically at Carnegie Hall. We were at the Flying Lotus show about a week and a half ago. The uh, But it runs all the way to March 31st. So two months. It's not just Black History Month. It moves uh -huh. into Women's History Month, too. So it's all over. There are over 70 festival partners. Uh, cranking out content. Uh, my own specific as a festival partner, Deezer Funk Studios. I'm uh, Black Metropolis. Uh, my exhibit is at the Children's Arts Carnival at 62 Hamilton Terrace, New York City. And uh, uh, we partner with West Harlem Arts, Carnegie Hall, Deezer Funk Studios, Herbalt Media, Studio Visceral. The list goes on and on. And uh, come by and do my show because you know I might, Mike. I got to do your portrait, man. I got to really do both of your portraits. Oh, there's the new uh, podcast cover album, Mike. <laughs> oh, I'm I'm not joking. Mike knows. Yeah, no, I, I do listen. portraits all the time. I, I do it all the time. So if you come Mike. in, I'm going to do your portrait. What do you right. think, man? I mean, listen, what I a privilege. Tickets. I already bought tickets to the film festival, so I'm I'll be there. Or oh, they, okay. were right. they were free. They were free. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but they sold a lot of free tickets. It's pretty yeah, amazing. A lot of free tickets. <laughs> sold <laughs> out, baby. That's awesome, man. Congratulations, Tim. Thank you, guys. You guys and, are awesome. And where Thank can people so find you on social media, Tim? Okay, so here we go. If you want to see me at my primary site, dieselfunk.com. Twitter, at dieselfunk. Diesel <laughs> Facebook, at, at dieselfunk. Diesel <laughs> uh, and let's see, on Instagram, it's... Uh, at Diesel Funk. <laughs> Everything's Diesel Funk. Uh, but you can also find me at timfielder.com and the Black Metropolis show is blackmetropolis.net. All right. I got the name of your, your first album is Everything's Diesel Funk. That's the name of the first album. Yep. Thank All you right. so much, guys. You guys are awesome. Thank you so much. That's it for this episode of Brown and Black. We'd like to thank Tim Fielder for stopping by. And if you would like to support this podcast, please subscribe and leave a review. Your help will allow us to be heard by many more people. This episode was edited by Joshua Tirado. You can follow our comments and opinions on at Brown Black Podcast on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. We'll see you on the next episode of Brown and Black. Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.